This week on the Pressure Cast, paid mods come to Fallout 4, Dead Rising 4 comes to the PlayStation 4, and probably something else with 4 in the title happens. It's Monday, September 4th. Eh, what do you know? 2017. Everything happened in the world of video games is here, now on the Pressure Cast. Hey, hey, Pressure Pals, welcome to the 197th episode of the Pressure Cast, the weekly video game news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Tinder Radio, Google Play Music, and America's longest running independent newspaper at SepartExpress.com. My name is Colin Tanner, and I'm caffeinated, so caffeinated, and ready to ramble to you about some goddamn video games. And what a week we have had. It has been a very entertaining week because I've been playing Mario Cross Rabbids. Kingdom Battle. I think it's called Kingdom Battle. I don't really remember because it is a bad name for a video game. Like Mario Cross Rabbids? Okay, I understand. You know, it's kind of like a, a Japanese thing, the whole cross when they use the letter X instead of the word cross. I get it. That makes sense to me. But like, Kingdom Battle? Ugh. Come on. Try a little harder. <laughs> just, I don't know, Kingdom Battle. Like, Kingdom Battle just sounds like it could be a mobile game, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like anything that's going to be uh, Ubisoft and, and Nintendo coming together to like merge universes and create a, like an XCOM style strategy game, does it? I don't know. Maybe I'm being too picky here, but I've been playing a lot of it. I'm really enjoying my time. I have a couple of gripes, and I'm going to have my impression video out on Tuesday or Wednesday, one of those days. Please check back and watch that because I'm going to spend a lot of time making it. Uh, and you might be saying, "Why is it an impression video? What are you doing, you lazy asshole? Finish the game and then give us your full assessment." Well, I can't. I mean, I'm going to finish the game, but I can't experience everything in the game because there's this whole co-op mode that's only local. If it was online, I would do it, but it's only local, and I'm not going to be able to set up some sort of, like, Switch playing session with somebody before Tuesday or Wednesday, so I'm not going to be able to mention that part of the game. So because I didn't experience what might be a very important uh, mode in Mario Cross Rabbids Kingdom Battle, unfortunately, I can't give it a full review. It's going to be an impression, just because that one little thing. If they had online play, be a different story because I'd be able to experience what exactly it's all about but enough about me enough about me bitching about my pathetic existence now it's time for the part of the show where you dear listener or viewer answer the weekly question and tell me what's what it's a little something we like to call tell me god damn it See, last week we were talking about the newly announced Fist of the North Star game, which uh, of course is based off of the anime and the manga, which has been around for like over 30 years. So I asked you, dear listener and viewer, to tell me, goddammit, what's the best licensed game movie or based off of a movie, book, or TV show, or whatever, just like a licensed game that you've ever played, or what's a licensed game that you would like to see uh, be created? And it, it, you know, this is, this is a show where dreams come true. So you just name whatever your heart's deepest desire is. We don't limit it to any sort of real responsibility where it's like, ooh, that thing's tied up in like a million different companies. You'd never be able to get that. No, no, no. You just answer with your with your deepest desire. And that's that's what we do here. Uh, Sasuke27013 uh, was the first to answer. And Sasuke says, quote, a horror game based on the original Twilight Zone or the live supernatural uh, live action series would be interesting. The Twilight Zone game should be in the original black and white look instead of color and be fun to hunt down monsters as Sam and Dean Winchester in Supernatural. Uh, Sasuke also wants to wish Hatsumiku, the uh, Vocaloid, a happy uh, 10th birthday? 10th anniversary? I don't know. 
She doesn't look 10 years old. She's been like 10 years old for 10 years. But yes, Hatsumiku, another licensed game that's been around for about 10 years. Now, I'm actually unfamiliar with Supernatural, so I'll have to take your word for it. I remember it being pretty popular. Was that like a CW thing or a WB thing? I don't know. I, I didn't watch it. Uh, but I loved me some Twilight Zone, which for the most part is a series of short story adaptations. And that got me thinking. I know it's super cliche, all right? But if they were going to make a Twilight Zone game, I'd like to see Telltale take a crack at it. Telltale take a crack at it. Here's here's what I'm trying to say. You know, Telltale, normally they make those those um, episodic games where, you know, one episode ties into the next one. But what if they made a Twilight Zone game where it was just five separate episodes, five standalone two-hour experiences with branching paths? Now, the trick is that, you know, almost every single Twilight Zone story is really a morality tale or... Um, yeah, for the most part, it's, it's discussing the nature of just human beings and the psychology of human beings. But, you know, changing the ending, I suppose, for every episode would be kind of cool. You kind of get to see the different outcomes. And I guess there'd be like a moral lesson, lesson at the end of the day, which is different because most other games, they don't try and teach you moral lessons anymore when it comes to making choices. Like whatever you do, it's the right choice. It's just a different path. Whereas at the Twilight Zone, they come down hard on people, which, um, you know. Is cool. I like the Twilight Zone. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. It could be the best show of all time. If you really think about it, it told so many great stories. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the next one. Gene wrote in and he kept it short and sweet. He said his favorite uh, licensed video game was the Die Hard Trilogy. All right. Good enough for me. And I think we actually talked about the Die Hard Trilogy last week in Strong History. But this got me thinking about how funny it is that we used to have trilogies. And I'm serious, we used to have trilogies of movies. That That's such a 90s thing. It doesn't even exist anymore. There was like the Star Wars trilogies, Alien trilogies, Back to the Future trilogy, Indiana Jones trilogy, Underworld used to be a trilogy, uh, The Man with No Name trilogy, X-Men was a trilogy originally, and Scream. Scream was even a trilogy. Trilogies used to be just the way films worked. Like once you hit the third film, they're like, we're out of here. Can't milk this franchise anymore. <laughs> but those days are over. I mean, look, we've already had three Captain America movies, three Iron Man movies. We're going to have the third Thor movie coming out later this year. Do you think that that franchise is ending anytime soon? No way. So now, three ain't nothing but a number. No more trilogies. But I agree. I agree. Die Hard Trilogy was badass because every part of the game was different. Like, the first part was an action game. The second part was like a, a light gun shooter. And the third part was like this driving game that was kind of like Crazy Taxi. It was really, really fun. And it was, you know, they were all completely different genres. And they weren't mini games. They were, you know, maybe like an hour, two hour long experiences. It was so badass. So it would be cool if you could just take another movie franchise and just create that same format where it's different genres. Like, I don't know, maybe maybe the second movie's a puzzle game. Why not? You can do whatever you want. It's fun. <laughs> but these days, they wouldn't bother. They're just gonna slap Lego characters all over it and have them reenact the scenes, but they're Legos. Oh. It's not the same, dude. It's not the same. And finally, Joe wrote in, and here's what he said, quote, I have an answer for both my favorite licensed game of all time and a dream game. My favorite would be Batman Arkham City. This is without a doubt my favorite portrayal of Batman and the world around him that has been depicted in any medium to date. That is high praise right there. It somehow manages to combine the dark visual styles of the comic book, the more goofy elements of the animated series, and some of the darker themes from the Nolan films into one complete package. Not an easy task, but one hell of an accomplishment to behold. I can pitch my dream game, or if I can pitch my dream game. Uh, it's just the Elder Scrolls Star Wars. All right. The Star Wars, uh, the world of Star Wars, not the Star Wars. Although I kind of prefer that. The Star Wars has already, uh, we'll try this again. 
The world of Star Wars already has so many different races and classes built into it that it would function perfectly in an Elder Scrolls package. All right, I like that. See, first of all, I want to explain something. I'm not even a big Star Wars fan. I have not seen the new movies at all. I didn't even see episode three, like from a decade ago. I saw the first two and went, nope. <laughs> and everyone's like, no, it's the best one. It's like, okay, I don't care. I didn't like the first two. I'm not giving them any more of my time. Why would I waste my time? So I've never been a big Star Wars fan. And I've never even big that, been that big into like Elder Scrolls. Like I like playing Elder Scrolls, but I'm not huge in Elder Scrolls. For some reason, I love Star Wars games. I love sitting down and playing Star Wars games. And even back in the day, I was so hyped for Knights of the Old Republic. Like, I loved the idea of running around in that universe and just doing whatever. But of course, it was a little bit more restrictive than that. It was an open world game. It was a very linear RPG. But they did like having an entire galaxy to explore in an Elder Scrolls style universe or in, in terms of gameplay. And then you have like Star Wars everywhere and you could be doing, you know, cool force tricks. And instead of magic, you could have the force. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but it would be badass, and you know it would sell so many units. <sighs> I would love to see that happen. Now, as for Arkham City, I'm gonna have to agree with you right there about it being one of like, the best licensed games ever, 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 because I remember the night that I got that game. Uh, I switched off the lights, I threw on some headphones, like I remember it vividly, and I just started playing that game, and it blew me away. Like the intro for that game is so good when, when Bruce Wayne's being kicked into Arkham City and there's all these people throwing trash at him and yelling at him, it's scary. Like, I got scared. <laughs> like, for me, that was almost like survival horror. And then there's that point where you get suited up and you're looking at the courtroom and you're going to go in there uh, and try and rescue Catwoman. And I was intimidated. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to take on those dudes that were patrolling the uh, the courthouse. I Like, I was just too intimidated to get any closer because I thought those crooks were going to kick my ass. <laughs> Which is stupid because I played the very first game, Arkham Asylum. But, like, the way that that game opens, it just it just gives you that sense of scale that really awesome sense of scale. And then I just flew down there and I beat up the crooks. And it was like, oh wait, this game is super fun. It's not just all presentation. Like this, this gameplay is amazing. One of the best games of 2011. And I would say uh, 2011 was one of the best years in video games ever. A totally underrated year, you know, because we had things like LA Noir, we had things like uh, Mortal Kombat. That was the year that WB really kicked it off because they had Mortal Kombat and uh, Arkham City. Well, anyway, I want to thank everyone for answering last week's question, but let's look forward to the next episode. So we're going to be talking about DLC a lot this week. I don't want to specify exactly why we're going to be talking about DLC, but trust me, it's going to be a big deal. You kind of already know because I talked a little bit about it in the intro. Anyway, DLC gets a bad rap. But I think we all at least have one piece of extra content. Maybe it was an expansion pack. Maybe it was standalone DLC. Something like that that we've really enjoyed. So my question to you is, what is your favorite piece of DLC? Or what game would you like to see get more content? Also, because it is Tell Me God Damn It, where dreams come true, let's imagine that this extra content is going to be just, it's the perfect price. You're, or it's completely free. And it's just... It's awesome, and it will not interfere with the developer making a sequel or making another game. Like, somehow, magically, they can just produce this piece of DLC. Now, think about that. Give it a thought. Stop for a moment. What's my favorite DLC? What game should have extra content? What would I appreciate? And then, you can email me, text me, text the pressure cast. You're not going to be texting me directly. I'm not going to be eating a Subway sandwich and look down my phone. Somebody just be like, here's an idea for DLC. It's not going to happen this goes to a different line. You can leave a voice message or you can tweet your response. All the links to contact the show are in the description of this episode on this uh, YouTube video or on your podcast app. So just, uh, you know, 
leave an answer there. Or you can leave a comment on the YouTube version of the show. Just leave it below. I'll read it. And then I'll read it next week. I'll read it twice. Once and I'll go, yeah. And then I'll read it out loud like I just did to those other responses. We should move on. I hope you're noticing a pattern with Tell Me Goddammit. First, we're talking about licensed games. Then we're talking about DLC. There are things that get a bad rap in the video game industry, but aren't bad inherently. There's just uh, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And, and sometimes people go into it with the uh, the right expectations and it, and it fumbles. And sometimes people go with the wrong expectations and it turns out to be really good. I could give you very, very specific examples. But hey, I think we need to move on because we got to get on the train. Chug, 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 chug. Here comes the train. A tooty toot toot. Beep, beep. That's right. It's time for the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the part of the show where uh, we talk about those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend all your money and become a goddamn video game guru already. What are you doing with your life? Be a guru. Come on. And we're going to start off this week's hype train by talking about a 26-year-old game on a 26-year-old console. Yes, really. For real. See, last week, Capcom announced that they're going to be re-releasing Street Fighter V on the Super Nintendo, as in they are re-releasing more cartridges of Street Fighter II. Did I say Street Fighter V by accident? <laughs> well, they're re-releasing Street Fighter II on the Super Nintendo. Like, they are making new cartridges and shipping them out in boxes, and you will have to use an old Super Nintendo or a Retron 5 to play the game. Like, for real! It's really gonna be... another cartridge. I can't stress this enough. I think you already get it. Well, the manufacturing is gonna be handled by IM8Bit, and they're probably best known for their vinyl reprints of video game soundtracks, which I've never listened to, but I've always heard they're pretty good. Uh, but before you get too excited about buying a new SNES game, or an old SNES game, <laughs> a new, old, whatever, keep in mind that each cart costs $100, and they're only making 5,500 copies of them. That's right, 5,500 copies, that's it. Now, 4,500 copies are going to be a red cart, which I guess they're calling Ryu Red, because Ryu has a red headband. Like, even though that's like... 5% of his design. He has a red headband, sure. He's got brown hair. He's wearing a, a, a white gi. You just went with the headband? You're like, oh, that's Ryu's favorite color. It's red. I mean, I guess the headband is the most unnecessary part of his his build, like, so maybe he really likes it. Oh, maybe it... it no, it, it probably stops sweat from getting in his eyes when he's street fighting. I don't know. But anyway, they're gonna have another 1,000 carts, which are gonna be green, like Blanca, which makes more sense, because Blanca is green. And that's awesome. And the cart will even glow in the dark, which which is badass. And it kind of makes sense because Blanca has electric powers. So I guess you could see him in the dark, I guess. I don't know. Huh. And the package is also going to include a poster, which totally makes it worth $100. Oh, and you should probably already know that they already sold out because, of course, they did. <laughs> Sorry. You should have listened to this episode earlier. In the earlier version of this episode, I said that they were still available. But you didn't listen. Now, Wario64, he's the popular video game deals Twitter account guy. He's always posting up things like, oh, this game's on sale, blah, blah, blah. Well, he noticed a quirky detail while reading the fine print of the game. Now, brace yourself for this because I'm about to read to you a quote from the fine details about this game cart. This is real. This was really what they printed. Here's what it says. Quote, use of this reproduction game cartridge, the product, on the SNES gaming hardware may cause the SNES to overheat or catch fire. The SNES hardware is deemed a vintage collectible, so please exercise extreme caution when using the product and make sure there is a fire extinguisher. Make sure 
there is fire extinguisher equipment nearby. Use the product, use of the product is at the sole risk of the end user. End quote. I've heard of a yoga flame, but that is ridiculous. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Seriously, I am 8-Bit explained on Twitter that they need to include this warning because, well, like they mentioned, it's vintage. The SNES is 30 years old. And even though they're just making a video game cartridge, they don't want to get in trouble if somebody's hardware freaks out because they've got like this dusty Super Nintendo and they put it in there and then it just explodes and takes out like five children, you know? So that's why they did it. Now, can I explain why they felt the need to like put that out there? Sure. I, I mean, they, they, they're worried about this. Now, is this actually going to happen? Probably not. But if you're a lawyer at I am 8-Bit, there is no reason not to mention this. I mean, come on, couple of sentences and you're covered from getting sued out of oblivion for life. So mention it, it's a good idea. The lawyer's got the right idea. But this story itself is pretty strange because we're talking about a major company like Capcom endorsing repo carts. Carts? Why did I say that weird? Repo carts. If you're not familiar with the term, Reproduction carts are just like they sound. For years, fans have been duping or downloading uh, ROMs onto cartridges, and most of the time, it's for really rare games that you can't find. Like, I remember seeing a bunch of Mr. Gimmick repo carts because that's a really hard game to find on the NES, and it's a really good game. And of course, there were a lot of Mother One carts because there was that leaked ROM that was online, or fan translations uh, for like Game Boy Advance for Mother 3. There's a lot of reproduction carts of those, and they're always being sold at like trade shows, just fans that are making it, and they're not worth anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, they're worth like, I don't know, whatever they're printed on, because they didn't make the game or anything, and I guess their time, and if they made some cover art, I guess it depends how much work they put into it, but they didn't make the game, they just dumped it onto a ROM. So they're not really worth anything, because they're not, they're, they're just unofficial uh, reproductions, and they're not even fan games, so they usually don't go for much. Now, if you have a fan game on a reproduction cart, uh, that's that's actually worth something because that's an original work that's on there uh, Now there are people out there that are assholes that try and pass off these reproduction carts as the original carts fuck those people <laughs> They're awful now this one, you know, we're, we're entering a new stage You know officially approved reproduction carts. That's different and It does make sense why Capcom would want to do this because it brings in quick cash a hundred bucks per cart like off the top of my head five thousand and they are gonna make a hundred dollars on the card. They're gonna make over uh, seven billion dollars. That's math for you. But it also bumps up the profile of Street Fighter. That's what collectibles do. Like, you ever wonder why Nintendo was only putting out a few SNES classics? It's the illusion of rarity. Disney does the exact same thing. It raises the value of the brand and the perception of the property, or at least the worth of the property. But the real question here is, how long do you think it's gonna be before you go to some fan expo? and you see one of these carts, and it's a reproduction cart. Someone actually reproduced the cover art because it's slightly different. It has the 30th anniversary logo on there because Street Fighter is 30 years old, even though Street Fighter 2 is 25 years old, whatever. There are gonna be people out there repoing repo carts. They're gonna take those repo repo carts and pass them off as real repo carts when they are not. If you think I'm joking, y'all need to spend more time in the retro scene. It gets dark, it's so dark. Anyway, toot toot. Uh, we're gonna move over to some more Capcom news, except this time we're going from dusty old consoles of the past to the best place to play video games today, the smartphone. <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. But Capcom did announce a brand new Puzzle Fighter game, which is a franchise that is near and dear to my heart. Oh, I love Puzzle Fighter. 
Uh, there's gonna be a brand new Puzzle Fighter that's coming to smartphones. And if you've never played Puzzle Fighter, it's basically where you drop uh, colored gems two at a time, and then you blow them up with orbs that are similarly colored. So it's like you drop a bunch of blue gems, and then you take a blue orb and you drop it on the blue thing, and then it explodes. And when it explodes, it drops uh, like these little bomb orbs on the opposite screen because it's two people playing against each other, like Street Fighter. It's like versus. But whenever you blow up your orb, it actually does like a cool attack. So you're playing as Ryu and you're doing like a Hadouken. You're doing like a Hadouken against the other puzzle fighter. It's awesome. It's kind of like Puyo Puyo. It's one of my favorite games ever on the PlayStation 1. I still have my copy because it is so goddamn good. And it also had Darkstalker characters, which was crazy. Like, what's Felicia doing here? Why is she fighting Chung Li? This is awesome because this is before the game's like big time crossover games started happening. Yeah, because it was like 1997 or somewhere around there. So anyway, <laughs> Capcom put out this trailer for Puzzle Fighter, and it has nothing to do with the actual gameplay. It just showed a bunch of characters fighting each other. It didn't show any of the puzzles, which is a shame because, like I just mentioned, the game is really cool, and it's actually visually striking, or I guess it was visually striking. I don't really know how this version's going to turn out when it's in motion because they only have a couple of screenshots. They didn't put up a video of it just yet, but... We do know that they're going to expand the roster for Puzzle Fighter, and it's going to include more Capcom characters. It's going to include Mike Haggard. It's going to include Dante from Devil May Cry. It's going to include Chuck Green from uh, Dead Rising 2. And, of course, they're going to throw in Mega Man there because mm, they just like to throw Mega Man in everything. And the game is going to be featuring team-based combat, which is a first for the series. So you'll have a main character and you'll have two support characters. Who knows how that's going to work out? But the best part is you're going to be able to play online against other people, which is amazing. Now, I know mobile games have a bad name. And I understand why. There's so many bad mobile games. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the Atari 2600 before the video game crash, or the, even the 5200. 5200? Yeah, that came out before the video game crash of whatever. That's not the point. But I'm kind of pumped for this. I'm actually kind of pumped to see a mobile title. See, Capcom has put out a bunch of games on iOS and Android platforms, but they're mostly these really crummy ports of console games. Like, oh, you want to play 1943 on your phone? Fuck no! It's just the arcade game dropped without any sort of consideration for uh, touchscreens. But one of the best games on smartphones in this day and age are puzzle games. And the fact that they have a brand new version of Puzzle Fighter, it's not just they're taking the old Puzzle Fighter and they're just throwing it on there and be like, hey, you fucking figure it out with touchscreens. No, they're making a brand new game. That's exciting. So if I had to guess, uh, this probably has a lot to do with Capcom's bad quarterly reports as of late. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm making kind of a pivot here, but stay with me. In case you don't know, Capcom, even though they had a really positive quarterly report recently, they're like, oh, this is up X percent, and this is up X percent. The only reason they're up by a certain percent is because they were down so much uh, a year ago because things like Street Fighter V underperformed, Dead Rising 4 underperformed. So they're starting to take mobile games more seriously because that's where you can make a lot of money. You know, that's where a lot of companies go. And so because of that, we have a brand new Puzzle Fighter later this year, and I'm just so happy. I just hope it's not free to play. Don't fuck this up for me, Capcom. I really love Puzzle Fighter. I really do. Anyway, toot toot. And finally, for Capcom, this is our final Capcom story. That's right, we had three Capcom stories in one week. Uh, maybe we have more in the chart park. This is the hype train. The show has multiple parts in case you've never watched it before. And it's, can it's getting canceled in like three weeks, so don't get too attached. <laughs> but uh, anyway... Uh, and there might be Capcom stuff in strong history. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that Dead Rising 4 is coming to the PlayStation 4 on December 5th. Except this time it's called... Dead Rising 4... Frank's 
big package. Yep. Frank's big package. That is such a funny, funny joke. <laughs> Alright. Now, in case you don't know, Dead Rising 4 was released uh, last December as an Xbox One exclusive, and then they released a PC port, I want to say in March. Uh, so this is going to be the exact same game, obviously, but you're going to get all the DLC, like the mini golf mode and all the costumes. And if you're like, wow, I don't even remember Dead Rising 4. Capcom doesn't even talk about Dead Rising 4. You're right, they don't, because they don't talk about games that sell under 2 million units. That's real. That's real. Dead Rising 4, over a year ago, hasn't hit 2 million units. The game bombed. It bombed so hard. And here's the thing. We're talking about 2 million units across the Xbox One and PC. You know that's serious. And this is the fourth entry in a pretty well-known franchise. <laughs> Woo, man. Now, I've seen some people online say that they're not going to buy it on the PlayStation 4 because it was an Xbox One exclusive, much like uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Which I gotta admit, you know, uh, you, you gotta stick to your own beliefs, but your beliefs are totally asinine. <laughs> Think about this. If The Last of Us came out on Xbox One tomorrow and someone was like, I'm not gonna play it because it was on the PlayStation 4. Wouldn't that seem ridiculous? You know it would. And I know the comparison isn't one to one, but come on, it's pretty silly, right? But that aside, there are better reasons not to play Dead Rising 4. <laughs> it is an awful, awful fucking game. Like, I, I actually beat it last year, and I actually captured all this footage. I still had the footage. I wrote a review and everything, and then I just never put out the review. Like, I had... That game drained me. Like, I, I had less enthusiasm to work on anything. It was really crazy. Uh, the whole world is completely bland. The combat actually feels worse than any of the other Dead Rising games. And the story is just awful. The story is so bad and doesn't even make any sense. And after I beat it, I felt so sad, like I felt sad that I actually went back and played Dead Rising 1 after playing part 4 because I was thinking, you know, maybe my taste has changed a little bit, but nope, Dead Rising 1 and 2, they hold up really well, and I actually beat part 1 and then went on to play part 2, and even part 3, you know, I'm not into part 3, that's not something that I like, but I played it and I was like, you know what, this is not my kind of game, this is a game that other people are going to appreciate, but part 4 tries to be the exact same thing as the first two, it kind of like, it ditches a lot of the ideas of part three and tries to be like the first two, except they got rid of the timer. And the Dead Rising, of course, had like this Majora's Mask system where it was counting down from 72 hours. And if you didn't beat the game by then, you know, it was it was it was the game world time. Not it wasn't real time. The game is not 72 hours long. <laughs> like, I forget how many, you know, it's like it's like Grand Theft Auto, how Sunrise, Sunset, all that kind of shit. But it's not in real time. <laughs> Did that make any sense? Part four tries to be everything part one and part two was except without the timer and you can't do that because the timer was like a crucial part of the design of how Dead Rising 1 and 2 worked. Like, if you're going to get rid of the timer, you really have to rethink what Dead Rising is going to be. And that's what Dead Rising 3 tried to do. And I think it did it in some really thoughtful ways. Now, the problem with um, Dead Rising 4 is that they try and do everything exactly the same. Like, there's a shit ton of zombies in the way. And in Dead Rising 1 and 2, that used to make me personally really tense because there's a timer. I have to get there by 4 o'clock and there's all these zombies in the way. But when there's no timer, it just feels like busy work. Like, fuck, there's all these zombies in the way. I have to get in that room. God damn it, get out of my way. Like, they've, they've actually reduced the sense of urgency in the game, which is really bad. You never want to reduce the sense of urgency unless you're creating something that's supposed to be like a contemplative type of game. But this was an action game. And even the zombies look like crap. Like, the zombies were all wearing just a series of winter jackets, and you could just tell that they were just randomizing the bodies and the heads. Like, you'd see people that have, like, orange jacket, woman head, long hair, and then it'd be, like, orange jacket, you know, old guy. 
short hair, but you could tell it was just, you could see, you could see how the sausage was made. And, and they all had the same body type. There were no fat zombies, no skinny zombies, no tall zombies, no short zombies. They all were the exact same height. It sucks. Dead Rising 4 is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Do not play it. It is not good. It is not good. It's just not. Besides that, this, the combat's really bad. Really bad compared to the other games. Anyway, toot toot. So, I didn't like Sonic Mania, but it's pretty obvious that I'm the exception to the rule. See, once again, I can stand back and be like, eh, other people appreciate things. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, you could say that the general reception of Sonic Mania is like the best since any Sonic game since uh, like 1994, which is a really long time ago. And you really couldn't ask for a better lead in to this year's brand new 3D Sonic game, Sonic Forces. Don't screw this up. <laughs> and now we know that Sonic Forces is going to be coming out on November 7th. And uh, uh, they just announced it for November 7th. That feels kind of late for a fall announcement, right? Like, I'm used to companies announcing dates too early and then having to push the game back, but but calling your spot two months beforehand, that seems kind of strange. Like, E3 or whatever, you're like, okay, we're, we're like five months away, go for it. But like, two months? 60 days until the game's gonna be out? That's kind of weird. Am I doing that right? September, October, November? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I looked it up. I'm like, all right, what else is coming out on uh, November 7th? And pretty much nothing, because everyone assumed Call of Duty was going to be out um, on November 7th because it was the uh, second Tuesday of the month. That's usually when Call of Duty drops. So everyone got out of the way, except for Electronic Arts. They're like, no, we're going to release Need for Speed Payback. Tough shit, Call of Duty. But because it turns out that Call of Duty is going to be coming out on the 3rd, which is a Friday because games come on Friday now. I have no fucking idea why. <laughs> because it's coming out on a Friday, that means that besides Need for Speed, you know, Sonic is going to have that Tuesday prime real estate November before Black Friday all to itself. And I think when people go to the store, they're going to see the need for speed. They're going to be like, I need speed. Payback. Urgh. They're going to see that on the shelf. And they're going to look over and they're going to see Sonic Forces. They're going to be like, Sonic Forces need for speed. They're going to have they're going to have to pick one or the other. It's going to be really difficult because they're both offering speed and needs for speed or forces of speed. Speed forces. Think about that for a second. But we also need to talk about the announcement that Sega put out that you can make your very own Sonic character in the game. Because you have all these costumes and you can just... Whatever, you can make your fan fiction come to life. But Sega's also just announced that there's going to be pre-order costumes that include some throwbacks to Sega's classic games like Jet Set Radio, woo, and Super Monkey Ball, and Nights in the Dreams. And they even have one for Persona 5 to look like Joker. Looking real cool, Joker. I forget what the line is. I like Persona 5. I think the weird thing about this, though, is that they're including all these references to old games. Like, I love Jet Set Radio. I love Jet Set Radio. Do not question my love of Jet Set Radio. Don't you dare. But that game is 17 years old, and I think that's older than most Sonic fans at this point. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody that's like an adult and likes Sonic, because I know that there are some older Sonic fans that grew up and they still have that attachment to Sonic. That's cool. But I mean, at this point, the majority of Sonic fans are kids, right? Because like they got the show on the Cartoon Network. Do they still have that show? I don't know. Like Sonic is basically a mascot that's on book bags and, and like folders and lunch boxes who also happens to have video games out. That's the way I look at Sonic right now. So how many of these kids are going to be like, oh, hell yeah, the Sega Saturn launch title, Nights in the Dreams. Do they know that? Do they care? I don't think they do. But we'll definitely be keeping an eye on Sonic Forces because if that game flops, 
there's going to be a serious question about how much money Sega is going to invest in the franchise, especially if an indie game that was made by like a team of, I don't even know how many people, but not that many, mostly an indie game, gets you better reviews and better sales. Seriously. So we'll have to check that out. Anyway, toot toot. All right. This next story is going to be really big. Seriously, this is going to be a huge story. It's going to take up most of the chart park. Nope, not the chart park, we're on the hype train. Whatever. Nintendo held another one of their live streams last week with a focus on indie games coming to the Switch. Or Nindies. If you fucking must. Nindies. We're not Indies, we're Nindies. Jesus Christ, somebody got paid to come up with that. Not Indies, Nindies. And there were a ton of announcements during this live stream. And uh, let's just get on with it. First up is Super Meat Boy Forever. That'll be coming by the end of the... Nope, it's coming next year. <laughs> and it's going to be the sequel to Meat Boy. Yes, really. Like an actual sequel to Meat Boy. No more like side sequels. No more uh, ports. This is a real deal sequel to Super Meat Boy. And, except there's a little bit more of offensive maneuvers. Like Meat Boy can now punch and kick. And he's punching and kicking for good reason. Because um, his, his child, Nugget, I think is his name, got kidnapped. Looks pretty good. Up next, there is Shovel Knight, King of the Cards? King of the Cards? King of the Knights? I don't remember. <laughs> I should have written this down. Well, anyway, it's another Shovel Knight DLC, like a standalone DLC. No, not standalone, but it's a Shovel Knight DLC where you play as King Knight. He can do an air dash and a horizontal projectile. Uh, it looks okay. I'm interested. I didn't really like the Plague Knight uh, standalone DLC. I thought that was kind of crummy, but... You know, cool. It's coming out next year. Awesome. Up next, we have Mom Hid My Game, which is coming out on the 3DS and the Switch later this year. If that game just sounds like you're searching for a game that your mom hid, you're right. That's that's exactly what it is. But it's like this sort of point-and-click adventure, and the game has this art style where it looks like um, almost like a warning. Almost like those old Nintendo warnings from the Nintendo Wii. Remember whenever you'd boot up a Wii game, they'd show that screen where that dude was just like smacking the crap out of somebody and smacking the crap out of their lamp with like the blue background? Well, that's kind of what this game looks like, except they they make it a little bit more surreal. There's like a, there's a point where you can see a 3DS inside the mouth of a crocodile. That's like a photorealistic uh, crocodile. It's, it's just chilling in a living room. It looks really weird. Uh, up next, we have Golf Story, which is a pixel art adventure game that centers around golf. It sounds neat, and it's going to be out this month, so keep your eyes peeled. Then there's Floor Kids, which is just a creepy name. Floor Kids! But it's actually about breakdancing kids, not bodies under the floorboards. It's a rhythm game. Uh, it has a really unique art style. looks hand-drawn. Um, the animation is, is pretty limited when it comes to frames, but it has like a really cool sketchy pencil style. And hopefully the gameplay is just as cool as the art, and I'll be out uh, later this year. Then there's Wolverblade. Wolverblade. I don't like the name of this game. That is so I feel so bad because you know these guys probably beat themselves up like, what are we gonna call this this game? We want like a cool name. Not some jackass on a podcast nobody listens to is going Wolverboy. <laughs> Stupid name. Well, Wolverblade is gonna be coming later this month, and it's gonna be a, a super bloody 2D beat 'em up. It looks awesome. It's basically about Romans versus uh, Vikings. They say they have a lot of historical elements in it, and I'm talking really bloody. Like they're cutting each other in half, and the characters are huge, so there's just tons of blood on the screen. And I will say that having a, a beat 'em up on a platform with two built-in controllers, pretty smart idea. Pretty smart idea. So good on those developers, even if they have a bad name for their game. <laughs> Sorry, Wolverblade. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know what that voice is, but it's funny. Uh, later this year, we're going to have Polybridge. That's going to be out on the Switch. And this is a game that you probably have seen, even if you don't know the name of it. It's the game about getting the car across the bridge. You have to build the bridge yourself. There's a ton of like animated GIFs on Reddit about it where people are doing loop-de-loops. It's a cool game. It's a really cool game. Uh, it's all about physics and whatnot, and that's going to be out on the Switch, which is cool. Uh, I'm not sure how that's going to be on the go, but uh, it'll be fine. Anyway, now here's uh, the next one I didn't see coming at all. It is Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. That's going to be arriving next year. And Kentucky Route Zero is this really cool, atmospheric, episodic adventure game from 2013. But here's the thing. It's not done yet. See, it was supposed to only have five episodes. And so far, they've only put out four episodes. They put out two in 2013, one in 2014, one... Uh, one last year maybe there was one in 2015 as well and then they're finally going to release the final chapter um next year which is cool because then they'll all be bundled together on the nintendo switch it, it looks really awesome i've never played it uh but i've wanted to i wanted to wait for all the episodes to come out but cool it's gonna be on the switch now up next we have probably the most visually striking game it's called earth atlantis it's an underwater free roaming 2d shooter but it all looks like it's it's drawn on sepia tone 1800s map paper so everything looks like it's really inked out it almost looks like um uh architectural designs looks really trippy you have to check it out up next we have next up hero which is going to be out next year next 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 this is supposed to be a really colorful but extremely difficult dungeon type crawler game that has a lot of color and has an isometric point of view they keep mentioning in the trailer where it's going to be like oh the entire community is going to work together and i have no idea what that means but it's available on steam early access if you're interested I don't know. Also, later this month we have SteamWorld Dig 2, but that's a game that everyone kind of already knows. It's the sequel to SteamWorld Dig. It's gonna be out later this month, so check that out. Then we have... Oh, Jesus, how do you say this game? Malaka? Malaka? Forgot Malaka! Uh, that's gonna be arriving next year. It's a pretty cool action game where you fight giant monsters. It's 3D. Uh, action, not 2D like most of these games. So it looks a bit like Journey, except more polygonal, like the way they show water and waves, it just looks like spikes are coming out of the water. It's it's really cool. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I hate to describe everything visually, but this is an audio podcast. People have already stopped listening because we've... Uh, oh yeah, no, people have already stopped listening. I, I check how long people listen to the show. I know what you're doing. <laughs> Next month, uh, we're going to have Yono and the Celestial Elephants. That's going to be on the Switch. It's an isometric puzzle action game. This might be the one that I'm most excited for just because, goddamn, the elephant is super fucking adorable. And then next year, we're going to have Dragon Marked for Death. And I know that name sounds super edgy. It's another bad name. But if you like pixel art, you have to go look at this game. It looks like an action platformer RPG, a bit like Castlevania, but more linear. Looks really incredible. This holiday season, we're going to have Battle Chef Brigade. This is one of the most original games of the entire uh, show. Uh, they, it is a 2D action platformer, kind of like Castlevania again, except you are out fighting to collect ingredients, and then you go back and you play a puzzle game to cook food. I have no idea how that's going to turn out, but it sounds awesome. Next year, we're going to have Morphe's and Morphe's Law. Morphe's Law. Anyway, please stay with me here. This is a four versus four online shooter where you shoot an enemy, but wherever you shoot them, it grows your body. So you shoot their head, their head shrinks, and it makes your head get bigger. Uh, and so does your team's avatar. And whoever has the tallest avatar at the end of the match wins. But because your size changes, it changes where you can go. So if you're like a really short person, you can sneak through little cracks in the walls. It looks insane, and it is a 3D shooter, just to be clear, so go check that out. And then this fall, we have Sausage Sports Club. 
which is another really weird game. It's like a eight-player isometric sports title. I don't know. They they have soccer balls and stuff. I don't know how much sports is actually involved, but all the characters are shaped like sausages. Their bodies are like flopping around and knocking each other into spikes. Completely bonkers. Looks awesome. Great for parties. And now we're in the home stretch because there's Light Fingers, which is a really interesting isometric game. Notice I keep saying that isometric game over and over again. It looks like a tabletop game where the entire world is, is you know, looks natural, but it also looks like it's built out of a pop-up book. Really charming. Uh, and before we get to the big one, the last one we have is a four-player dungeon crawler called Nine Parchments. It's uh, it's going to be coming later this year. Probably the most graphically impressive game. Uh, looks like Diablo, you know, with four players, except more magic-focused. And finally, we have No More Heroes Travis Strikes Again, which of course is the latest entry in the No More Heroes series from Suda51 and Grasshopper Manufacturing. I'm really hyped for that, but before we talk about that, uh, let's just talk about the overall live stream. It is, it was really good, uh, but I've seen some disappointed people like responding to this. They, they, they've, they've been saying things like, oh, this indie selection proves Nintendo does not need third-party support, which I'm just going to say is absolutely fucking wrong. Now, I'm not going to claim that the, the Switch needs third-party support to sell out this holiday season. It's going to do just fine. But I would like to see some beefy third-party games on this console. I don't want it to just be indie games, and I don't think that's unreasonable. And that's not a knock against indie games. Like, I know AAA games get blamed for being too stale, but they, they excel in certain genres that indie games don't. And look at these indie games I was just talking about. How many of them did I mention was like an isometric dungeon crawler? A lot of them. A lot of them. And that's not a knock against indie games, but I'm just trying to say that the perception that, you know, AAA is stale is, you know, it's true. There are, there, there are, there are themes that repeat themselves, but it's the exact same over in, in the indie space. I want to see all of this stuff together. But then there's other people out there that are saying, ah, all these indie games, that proves that Nintendo doesn't have third-party support. And I'll admit it, it's pretty dang quiet when it comes to game releases for an early console launch, but look at the interviews that have happened ever since the sales figures for the Switch came out. EA and Ubisoft are already supporting the Switch. We have, uh, obviously, the Rabbids game, but we also have uh, FIFA coming later this year. And everyone else has been fairly high on the console. Like, sure, there's some developers that want to go for the most bleeding-edge graphics, and they're not going to bother with the Switch. They're just not. They're going to skip it altogether. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to just be like, oh, you know... The only reason they're embracing indie is because they don't have third-party games. That's ridiculous. Look at the PlayStation 4. It's first like two years. A lot of it was about indie games and then it ditched it because it got a bunch of third-party support Which was a dick move Sony, but Even though they still have indie games. They don't promote them quite as much, but yeah, no you can have it all You can have indie games and third parties. I don't know why it has to be an either-or. It's ridiculous But yes, let's talk about no more heroes Travis strikes again the details right now are few and far between, but we do know it's going to be a third-person 3D action game. It's going to take place about a year after the first game, and we know the main antagonist is hunting Travis Touchdown, the protagonist, to avenge his daughter, Bad Girl. By the way, Bad Girl was the worst part of the original No More Heroes. Just the worst. So I assume this is some sort of joke on Suda51's part. And speaking of Suda51, he's actually going to direct this game. Which is amazing. See, we see a lot of games out there that are Suda51 games, but he doesn't actually direct them. Like, he might write the story, or he might produce the project, but he hasn't actually directed the game since 2007, which was the first No More Heroes. So I'm super pumped. Um, and in case you don't know, No More Heroes is about, like, this, this dude bro who basically gets into becoming the world's greatest assassin, and he has a lightsaber, and he, there's just tons of blood. If I tried to explain the story, it would be pointless because the story doesn't make any sense and it's like deliberately stupid. But check it out. It's awesome. But why was this at the Nindy Showcase? 
that's what I can't figure out. See, even if Nintendo publishes um, No More Heroes 3 or whatever you want to call it, Grasshopper still isn't an independent developer. They're owned by Gung Ho, which is a giant corporation. Just look it up. I'm just saying. But awesome trailer for the brand new No More Heroes. It even has a Hotline Miami cameo. Super cool. Anyway, toot toot. So, last week, we forgot to cover a story. But thankfully, I just got a rebound on it because the story has extra details. So it's better that I waited, right? I don't know. Uh, we just got word that Final Fantasy 15 is coming to PC, right? Which is super cool. Uh, but we forgot to talk about that it's also coming to phones, kind of. It's this thing called Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition, which takes all the events of Final Fantasy 15, except it makes it, you know, super cutesy, low poly, PlayStation 1 era type graphics. It actually looks really, really, really cool. And it's gonna be episodic and on a phone. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a selling point, but the first episode is gonna be free in this 10 episode series. I don't know why it has to be 10 episodes, but the first episode is going to be free and they're all going to be releasing on the same day. So I'm not sure why it has to be episodic again, but whatever. That's not as weird as the next part because IGN was actually in an interview with Hajime Tabata and they asked him like Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition. Is that going to be coming to the Switch? And Tabata obviously didn't announce anything because it'd be a bigger story then, but he said he's not going to rule it out. But the only problem with porting it over is that they don't actually have controller support for the game yet. Um, they also announced that they're going to be doing some sort of crossover with Assassin's Creed. It's going to be like an event that's only going to be taking place for a few months. So if you want a free costume and you want to act like an assassin, there you go. D do that. But yeah, Final Fantasy uh, 15 Pocket Edition on the Switch. I don't know. I don't think that's a... I I'm a little nervous about mobile games just getting put onto that platform because then that's just kind of what that platform becomes. It becomes like a phone with controllers <laughs> and, you and you really don't want that. Anyway, toot toot, and the last bit of Nintendo news is the Miiverse. The Miiverse is going away. That's right. If you drew something on the 3DS or Wii U and you upload onto the Miiverse, it's going away soon. Originally, everyone thought this was going to be like a Japanese limited uh, incident, but nope, they've confirmed global shutdown of the Miiverse. And in case you're like, what the fuck is the Miiverse? Uh, it was basically like, I don't know, a big message board that was on Nintendo. <laughs> But the good news is you can download all of your Miiverse posts before it closes for good on November 7th, which by the way is the same day Sonic Forces is coming out. I don't think that's a coincidence. They don't want to see any of that Sonic fan art. And then, sadly, Wii U chat and the TV app are also going to be closing on the Wii U. I'll miss you Miiverse for your inappropriate posts and just weirdness. And there were games on the Wii U that actually used the Miiverse, such as Super Mario Bros. U and Splatoon. So, so much for preservation. They'll never be the same again. Okay, toot toot. All right, now that we're done with Nintendo, uh, well, we'll actually be talking more about Nintendo in the chart park. This show feels slow. This feels slow. I don't know what's up with this week. I feel like I, I feel like that big, long, beefy uh, live stream thing got me off track. But anyway, we're gonna be talking more about Nintendo in the chart park. But let's talk about Xbox One for a second because we have the latest news of the Xbox One backwards compatibility program and there's a bit of a theme that I think you're going to figure out really really quick so here are the games that are going to be available for backwards compatibility on the Xbox One we got The Walking Dead Season 1 The Walking Dead Season 2 and then The Walking Dead Mikoni so okay I suppose your response to this news is how much you like The Walking Dead but the good news is that uh, The Walking Dead your experience crosses over to different um, different entries in the franchise so if you play Season 1 you can carry over your game save over to Season 2 now you can play all of the Walking Dead games on a single console, and that does come in handy, so pretty cool. All right, 
Toot toot. And lastly, before we get to this week's game releases, we have the uh, September PlayStation Plus free games. This Tuesday on the PlayStation 4, you're going to be able to play Hotful Boyfriend, which is this bonkers adventure dating game where most of the characters are giant pigeons. It's incredibly stupid and anime as fuck, and it's awesome. You have to check it out. And also on the PlayStation 4, you have Infamous Second Son, which is one of the most underrated games on the PlayStation 4. Seriously, it is an open world superhero game that takes place in Seattle, and you're flying around and shooting shit out of your hands. It's completely gorgeous and it's one of the only games that takes advantage of the DualShock 4 uh, the the touchpad the microphone and there's even a part where they make you hold the controller sideways I don't want to spoil it but it's super 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 awesome and then up next on the PlayStation 4 we have strike vector EX it's a third-person flight shooter no wait that's on the PlayStation 3 I fucked up yeah strike vector EX on the PlayStation 3 it looks all right I don't know it didn't get great reviews uh, we are doomed is also on the PlayStation 4. That's a fairly bland twin-stick shooter. I don't know. I, I, I tried playing it, and it was like, all right. It's a developer that's just trying to get their work out there, and that's cool. That's cool. Uh, on the Vita, you're going to be able to play Hotafu Boyfriend and We Are Doomed, which is whoop whoop, play some Hotafu Boyfriend on the go. Awesome. And then on the PlayStation 3, you're going to get Handball 16, which is like hockey, but you use your hands and it isn't very good. And then uh, you're going to get Truck Racer, which sounds really stupid, but I looked it up and it's mostly about drifting in a semi-truck, which is awesome. It has decent reviews, so check that out. So weirdly enough, Sony accidentally put out uh, the wrong list for the games for September. It was really bizarre. They had games like Monster Jam and Hustle Kings, and then like, whoop, ignore this, and they removed it. They actually removed this list. <laughs> Super bizarre. They also announced that there's going to be a free PlayStation VR game if you're a PlayStation Plus member, but we're going to save that news for the chart park, and you'll see when we get there. But yes, pretty solid lineup. I can't recommend Second Son enough. Super overlooked, but really, really fun. Okay, toot toot. Now let's see the games that are going to be coming out this week. On Tuesday, oh, fuck, all right, here we go. <laughs> Tohu Kobuto 5 Burst Battle is going to be on the PlayStation 4, Vita, and Switch. Cool. On the PlayStation 4, NAC 2 is going to be out. Songbringer is going to be on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4. RBI Baseball is going to be out on uh, the Nintendo Switch, which I heard is really bad, so maybe don't go with that one. <sighs> Utuwaru Mono Mask of Truth will be on the PlayStation 4. Sometimes I just feel like I'm on the Oscars. You know, when they're, when they're like, and I'm going to be presenting the award for best foreign film, and they have no idea how to pronounce some of this stuff. That's what I feel like. Also, LEGO Worlds is going to be on the Nintendo Switch. Then on Wednesday, Destiny 2, baby, that's going to be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. On Thursday, Beat the Game is going to be on the PC. Don't tell me what to do. Also on Thursday, Nero Verder is going to be on the Nintendo Switch. Double Dragon 4 is going to be on the Nintendo Switch. And then on Friday, you got Monster Hunter Stories on the, the Nintendo 3DS and Drive Girls for the PlayStation station Vita. What do you know? A Vita game. Boop, boop. That's gonna do for the chart park. God damn it, I said chart park instead of hype train. Who cares? This is the 197th episode and we are edging closer to the show finally, finally ending. I was thinking about this and uh, I don't, I just, I want this to be over with already. I'm being real with you. Like I have, I am ready for this to be over because I want to do some other stuff. I want to work on other things. Maybe it'll have anything to do with video games. Maybe it won't. I don't know. You know, I'm not getting too uh, too many views when it comes to the video game thing. Maybe this just isn't my calling. Maybe I need to go and work on other things. I don't know, but I want to make sure I get to 200 episodes and then I can move on and do something else. And that'd be fine. And I was thinking about it. And I think like the best example, the best like allegory uh, or simile 
is really just those it's like those people that that do those commercials where it's like it's our going on a business sale and you're like what the fuck are you happy about <laughs> you know like your business just went under but yeah i can kind of relate you kind of get to that point where you're like no i've been here long enough and i'm, I'm, I'm looking out at the everything and it's like mm, this ain't gonna happen <laughs> unless something this ain't gonna happen anyway enough about me speaking about going out of business Let's talk about business. Let's step outside. I know a place that's always warm with the glow of cold, hard cash. That's right. It's time for the chart park, the land where money grows on trees. Yes, the chart park. This is the part of the show. We talk about the legal business and financial news in the video game industry. And we talk about which fat cats of Wall Street are going to tip their top hats towards Lady Luck. Oh, baby. Well, it finally happened. Bethesda has introduced paid mods into Fallout 4, but of course they're using the far more focus-tested name Bethesda Creation Club. It's like a clubhouse where you create things. How neat is that? Now, the update rolled out on Tuesday, and owners of Fallout 4 were given 100 credits. You might be stopping and thinking to yourself, what the fuck are credits for? Well, brace yourself. Here's what it is. The Creation Club doesn't actually use real money, because that would be ridiculous. They use their own form of payment creation credits which you purchased with real money but they gave you 100 creation credits for free so be be grateful now if you've been listening to the pressure cast long enough you've probably heard my can i call it nuanced can i call it something i think nuanced or is that just like patting myself on the back but anyway i have a nuanced take on the whole concept of paid mods like i think the thing people keep forgetting is that mods are made by real people who are not like full-time developers or anything, or maybe they are full-time developers, but like mods are made by people that are trying to get attention. They're trying to get some notoriety. And so when you buy a paid mod, that money's going to somebody that really could benefit from it. Maybe they're struggling to get some attention and you're going to help them out. That's awesome right and then bethesda is going to come along to these developers and say hey we have a way that's going to make you some money and why not create a relationship with this gigantic publisher and developer you could put it on a resume dear god who's going to turn that down so i think creating an avenue for mod creators to be reimbursed for their time and effort makes perfect sense no patreon bullshit like let's just do it directly you want that thing pay me for it you know and if they tried charging it on their own it would never work because that would be overstepping their boundaries right they they could not make money off of another game but now Bethesda's is allowing them so you know i think this is pretty great and of course there are modders out there that are going to make their work free that don't want their mods to be paid but why not help out a smaller developer that does want their mod to be paid for but that being said that's my point of view Here's the problem. Bethesda does not advertise it like that. Instead, they're talking about how great the Creation Club is. Um, and then, you know, it also helps out developers, I guess, whatever, modders. But it's the Creation Club. Come on, buy some stuff. It sounds completely self-centered. Like they're just trying to make more money, which they are. And that is fine because they're a giant company and that's what they're supposed to do. But it's horrible PR because everyone's like, you're just doing this for the money. Why don't they just get on front of it and just say, no, you know what? Absolutely. We are doing this for money, money for smaller developers to help them get on their way. And it could be really beneficial. Like there's a way to promote this, you know, it, 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 I, I, here's the thing. Here's the thing that really gets me. All right. They fumbled their messaging. And that is fine because they are a giant company that has too many voices. And you know, sometimes they just fumble their messaging. 
but they had two and a half years to work on their messaging. Remember back in 2015, they announced paid mods. They had such a toxic response that they just gave up. They pulled the plug on it and now they're bringing it back. And what did they do in all of that time? Absolutely nothing. They gave it a new name, Creation Club, and they gave it like a sentence, like one sentence that's like, you're helping out modders. And the rest of the messaging is exactly the same. You're like, you're getting more content, but all people see are microtransactions. They don't see the modders behind it. Show their faces, show their names, show something. Not to mention, these mods that they released for this rollout, they're all cosmetic items. You know, like outfits and stuff. I know everyone's making fun of it because like, oh, look at this horse armor or look at this chair. How stupid is this? Why don't they give us anything meaningful? And I agree, they should have made something meaningful. But on another level, I can kind of understand. I can kind of get where Bethesda was coming from because they know that once you start selling things that are more than cosmetic items that actually change a game, people get really angry. They're, you know, like, they're, they're, they're giving me less of the game for whatever reason. That's how people treat it. But when all you're selling are cosmetic items, it makes the creation club look totally pointless to begin with. Why not have something like that fishing mod for Skyrim? Something substantial instead of a bunch of tanked on graphical effects. It looks senseless. So Bethesda, step back, rewrite everything. Every sentence you write, make sure to mention that fans are making the content, that fans are supporting fans. Keep reinforcing that this is supporting developers. But right now, you just look like a bunch of greedy jerks milking microtransactions. You had two and a half years. You should have done better at this. I'm not mad about the concept. I'm mad about the messaging. That's just me. Anyway. Moving on, we're heading back to Nintendo news, but this time it's not so positive. So remember a couple of weeks back when we were talking about uh, the Wikipad, which is that controller tablet device that has an HDMI out, and they're suing Nintendo because they're like, hey, Nintendo Switch is a ripoff of the Wikipad, even though no one has ever heard of a Wikipad. Well, back when we were doing that story, I mentioned that Nintendo might lose. They might lose that case because you never, ever know. And here's a good example. iLife, <laughs> lame ass name for a company, uh, iLife, has been recommended $10 million from Nintendo by a jury regarding the Wii and Wii U specifically for, and this is from the case itself, quote, uh, systems for methods of body motion detection, body movement uh, evaluation, body movement analysis, receiving body movement signals, analyzing body movement signals, responding to body movement signals, and remotely monitoring body movement signals, end quote. Of course, Nintendo put out one of those statements where they're like, we accept no wrongdoing, blah, 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 blah. And if you really think about, you know, 10 million bucks compared to how much they made off of the Wii, it's totally worth it <laughs> if they actually did rip them off. So you might be asking yourself, why do some of these cases seem to be so easy for Nintendo to get dismissed and others just don't? Well, the iLife decision was made by a jury, which doesn't mean that they are going to make 10 million bucks just yet. It just means that the jury has recommended to the judge that uh, uh, Nintendo should pay $10 million to iLife. That's just a recommendation at this point. So this is a jury case, and this jury was from Texas. Locations make all the difference. You know, every area has its own culture, its own political leanings, stuff like that, and you have to appeal to those people uh, in a way to persuade them for your case. And if that sounds really slimy, well, lawyers. There you go. All right, let's move on to the next story. This week is just a bunch of stories <laughs> I missed the week before, but now I get the uh, chance to recover them. So back in August, it was reported that we might see video games at the 2024 Summer Olympics. Olympics. <laughs> Olympics. 
Who knows if they'd be called eSports, but it's a possibility we might see video games at the Olympics. Wow. Even the vice president, wait, no, the co-president of the Paris Olympic Bid Committee said they need to reconsider what's relevant to the Olympics and that eSports might be a way to go. Now, predictably, another person in a position of power has come out and said, like, no, we shouldn't do that. And that's Thomas Back. He's the president of the International Olympic Committee. He had a few choice words regarding video games in general. Here we go. Here's what he said. Quote, we want to promote non-discrimination, non-violence, and peace among people. This doesn't match with video games which are about violence, explosion, and killing. And there's, uh, and there we have to draw a clear line. So if ever somebody is competing at playing football virtually or playing other sports virtually this is of high interest we hope that then these players are really delivering sports performance uh delivering a sports i don't know english isn't his first language uh if fans at the end would even play the sports in the real world we would even be more happy end quote now here's the surprising thing about this story it didn't get much play like in the general in the general press there weren't any sort of uh, knee-jerk reactions, you know, by people being like, how dare he say video games are violent, you know? <laughs> Nothing like that. Uh, I assumed Beck's statement would get a lot of play in the press, but it didn't. It didn't at all. Now, the comments that I saw mostly were all about like, oh, he says video games are violent. What about boxing and wrestling? <laughs> okay, whatever. Sure. There's real physical danger and trauma when it comes to boxing and wrestling and other parts of the Olympics for sure absolutely but their physical activities and their ancient traditions which is kind of what the Olympics are all about and I'm not going to pretend that the original Olympics weren't pretty flexible but about what what a sport is like did you know that the original Olympics had poetry as an event poetry for real but I don't see any real reason for video games to be part of the Olympics like clearly I like video games a lot but I don't need them everywhere. Like, I don't need video game movies or, or books based off of video game storylines. I don't need video games at the Olympics. I just, I like video games. They're good. They don't need to be at the Olympics. And if I want to see competitive uh, uh, video games, I already have Evo for my fighting games. And there's so many Dota and League uh, events over the course of the year. The Olympics are just more physical. And that's not a knock against video games. It's just, it's fine. It's fine. We don't need video games at the Olympics. So I agree with them. As for the idea that everything is like violent in video games, yeah, yeah, you know, there's something to it. You know, it's one of those things where once you play some non-violent games and you go back, you kind of realize like, man, I'm shooting a lot of fucking people on the head. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, even though it's really fun. And I like violent video games. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, the past couple of months, we've seen a new trend in VR. And it has nothing to do with video games. And we're not talking about porn. If that's what you think. We're not going to be talking about VR porn. Is that what you... You thought I was going to say porn, didn't you? Well, you're probably right, but we're not talking about VR porn. We are going to be talking about... Uh, I'm going to move my microphone. We are going to be talking about price cuts. Because the HTC Vive dropped to $500. Wait, nope. It dropped to $600. It was going... It used to be $800, and they just dropped the price to $600. That was two weeks ago. And then the Oculus Rift, over the summer, they dropped their price to $500, which it used to be $600. They dropped it to $500. But there was also like this um, summer event where they made it temporarily $400, I think. Anyway, now the PlayStation VR is also getting a price cut. That's right, the PlayStation VR. You know that $500 bundle that comes with two move controllers and a headset and a camera? Well, now it's going to be a $450 bundle. So deal with it. And you remember the uh, $400 standalone headset? 
Well, now it's gonna come with a free camera. And it doesn't matter what you think. Because that's the way it's gonna be, tough guy. And as everyone else has already basically pointed out, this means that everything is $50 off or the camera is basically becoming free. You know, no matter what, it's the camera that's being discounted. Now, personally, I hope this means that they're liquidating the camera to get rid of it because uh, we need a new camera. And I know that the PlayStation VR community is sick and tired of the move controllers, but at the very least those function. The camera sucks. It always sucks. They just remodeled it last year for PlayStation VR and it still sucks because it comes with this big, thick fucking cable that they just wrap around the camera and then they ship it out. And so it's sitting in the exact same position for like even a day or whatever. And by the time you open up your packaging, the cord is like, this is the way I am. I am a, I'm a curly cord. You're not gonna be able to straighten out this cord. It ain't gonna happen. And so like, while you're playing a game, it's like, oh, the head tracking feels off because the, the camera is slowly moving to the left or the right because it's trying to like, it's moving with the cord. Because the cord's fucking curly. Fucking knock it off. Like, give me a thin cord. I will take a thin cord. That's fine. So this big bulky one that can pull the camera around because the camera weighs next to nothing. So remodel the camera. But they're probably not going to do that. They're probably not going to do that. This is just them trying to get a slight nudge for the holiday season. Which is fine. And also, remember how I said if we were going to be talking about a free PlayStation uh, VR game? Well, we do have one to talk about uh, because they're going to be giving away rigs, which is that mech ro robot <laughs> mech robot game in VR. I played it. I didn't really like it, but it, it's a cool free game. And the studio that made it got shut down last year, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but by all means, PlayStation VR is doing really well. They just shipped uh, 430,000 units last quarter, and that makes it the most successful standalone headset on the market which is pretty cool. Also, if you do want to get that copy of Rigs, it's going to be available until November 7th. This is clearly a push for the holiday season. Uh, and, you know, PlayStation VR, um, if you know what you're getting into, I think it's a really good headset. I think it does have some great experiences on there. I just haven't been quite as impressed with what's happened since launch. You know, that's a shame. Anyway, moving on. But we have another VR story. Or I guess it's more of a rumor than a story, but uh, it's all about the HTC Vive. Hands down the best headset on the market right now. No joke. It looks better. It plays better. It's pretty comfortable. Mostly comfortable. No headset right now is actually all that comfortable. Anyway, Bloomberg is reporting that HTC is planning to sell off their Vive headset division, or at least spinning it out on its own. Like I mentioned in the last story, you had 430,000 units of the PlayStation VR gang shipped last quarter. And um, also they cut down the price by about 25%, right? That's that's good for the, for the HTC Vive. But here's the problem. Unlike the PlayStation VR, they've only managed to ship around 190,000 units. Now, considering that it was $800 at one point, that means that you could say they're bringing in double the amount of money, kind of? Because, you know, the standalone headset is 400 and the HTC Vive is 800 but... Mm, not really. Either way, both of them are still doing better than the Oculus Rift, which only shipped 99,000 units last quarter. 99,000 units! Well, I've said this before, but there's some smart people out there that I've talked with, and they've told me Facebook's going to get rid of Oculus. Oculus is not long for this world. It's going to get spun out. It's going to get sold. And there's also a growing concern that VR is essentially just in a big bubble. Lots of money is being spent not enough is being brought in and they're building a whole industry around VR but you know an industry doesn't need to be collapsing for for a company to consider a spin-off 
That's, this is not the reason that HTC Vive would spin it off. HTC itself is just not doing as well as they used to. Uh, and, and spinning off is sometimes a really positive thing. Like, remember when AMD spun off the Radiant Technologies Group? That turned out pretty well. Now they even got NVIDIA words. So all worked out there. So it could work out. It's just, well, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Hope you're enjoying the pressure cast. Moving on. Remember at the top of the chart park when I was talking about how DLC, no, was it the chart park? Whatever. I was talking about how DLC could be good earlier in the show, right? Well, sometimes it's good because it's fun to play. And then there's stuff that's DLC that from another angle is good because it does real good in the real world. What the fuck am I trying to say? Well, here's an example. WB Games just put out a trailer for their brand new DLC in Shadow of War. Now, in case you don't know, in Shadow of War, you're going to be building an army to fight Mordor or whatever the villain of uh, Lord of the Rings is called. But either way... <laughs> You're going to be getting these allies together. And one of the DLC allies is called the Orc Slayer. And if you buy it, you're going to be giving 300... Nope. <laughs> you're going to be giving $3.50 to the Fogarty... Forgy? For, for G? The 4G family. That's their name. <laughs> but here's the sad thing. The 4G family actually lost uh, Michael 4G last year to cancer. He was one of the developers on uh, the original Shadow of Mordor. He was the executive producer of the game. Last year he passed away because of cancer, which is really sad. But it's pretty remarkable because they've taken his face and his beard and they've turned him into the Orc Slayer, which is pretty touching, you know? And if you buy it, you're giving money to the family to continue to support them because the, the main means of income apparently for that family was taken away when he died. Not to mention all the costs when it comes to trying to take care of someone with cancer. It's really sad, you know? So buying this is good. Of course, there's the other issue with a giant corporation uh, making a giant obstacle course just to get fans to buy DLC to help a needy family instead of just helping themselves. But they're creating a heroic avatar to a fallen friend, and that's beautiful in its own right. Right? Okay. Moving on. Hey, let's talk more about that SNES classic, right? It's rare, it's collectible, it's 80 bucks, but if you're willing to cough up the money, you can spend a lot more. And thankfully, ThinkGeek, a subsidiary of GameStop, is willing to help you out. Now, if you're lucky, you can find the SNES Classic all on its lonesome. But what if you got a stupid-looking Zelda chessboard with it, or maybe a Triforce lamp, and it would only cost $190? That'd be cool, right? Because the problem with lamps and chess is that they just don't, they don't have anything to do with Zelda, am I right? You know what I mean? Anyway, some people have taken exception to these bundles that are being released by ThinkGeek and GameStop. And uh, saying that, you know, they'd just rather have the SNES Classic on its own. And other people are also pointing out that this just doesn't happen with the SNES Classic. GameStop is also doing it with the Nintendo Switch. That's annoying, right? Well, speaking with Glixel, which is part of uh, Rolling Stones magazine now, it's about video games. Eric Bright, the director of merchandising uh, for GameStop, he defended the bundles, stating, quote... We really try to do a great job of pairing up things customers like to buy. In the case of the Switch, we know that a customer is going to want to want a way to charge their Joy-Con controllers, so we often throw in a charging device. I'm just going to stop reading for just one moment because that is such horse shit. <laughs> I, uh, I actually bought the, uh, the Joy-Con charging grip. It's a, it's, a, it's a grip to charge your Joy-Cons. It is the most useless thing I've ever purchased for any video game console. Because Nintendo said that the Joy-Cons were going to be like 20 hours worth of battery life. And I'm like, bullshit. That's not going to be true. Turns out it is true. And I can prove it almost. I can almost prove it. Because when I was reviewing uh, Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game, the week that the console came out, I was playing Zelda for 16 hours a day trying to get that review done. Which is really unhealthy, but that 
that's how you get reviews done really fast. And I never charged the Joy-Cons. I would play all day, then put them back on the uh, Nintendo Switch and it would charge automatically. It was great. It was really, really, really great. But anyway, let's get back to, uh, so you don't need a charging grip or any bullshit like that. So let's get back to uh, this dude's quote. Here's what he says next. Quote, uh, we know the Switch has limited memory and customers like to download games. So we'll add a memory stick and then you need a game itself because what good is a piece of hardware without a game to play it? We'll make it more convenient. Uh, I want to interrupt one more time. Absolutely. He's right. You need a game. And oftentimes these bundles come with Breath of the Wild, which is an awesome game. You want that game. That's awesome. But I'm going to give you some extra context. I want to give you some extra context here. GameStop should not be like, oh, this this console doesn't have much memory on it. You know, because of digital downloads. GameStop, you don't want to encourage digital downloads. When people buy games online, they have less reason to go to GameStop. It's one of the reasons that your new and uh, pre-owned sales were down last quarter. Remember that? Uh, pre-owned sales were down 7%. Uh, new was down 3%. We covered this last week, or was it two weeks ago? But now, you're giving them memory cards and be like, oh, they'll help you download. Don't do that! Anyway, let's continue. Quote, customers have the opportunity to come into our store and choose the accessories that they would like to bundle with their hardware or buy online the predetermined bundles we have put together to help make the shopping experience more convenient. All right, so uh, this guy's the head of marketing for GameStop, and of course he's going to add a certain degree of spin to everything he says. So no matter what it is, it's going to be positive. He always wants it to look positive because it's what GameStop is doing, and he's, the, you know, this is what he does. This is what he does. And of course, he's going to say that Nintendo fans really appreciate these bundles because Nintendo fans want cheap accessories and knickknacks whenever they buy a video game console. And the thing is, he's right. Look, I don't buy those dumb little Amiibos or pop figures or fucking Triforce lamps, but there's a lot of people that do. In fact, GameStop pulled in over $120 million last quarter just on novelty items. It was up over 35% compared to the previous year. And you could say this is immoral, but we're talking about entertainment, so... I don't really think morality applies in this situation. You might say this is bad business. I don't know. They're clearly making the money. GameStop is right. Someone will buy it. Maybe some people will do it happily. Maybe some people will do it begrudgingly, but somebody will. And the next quarter, when they see the collectibles and hardware sales are up, the investors aren't going to know how it happened. They'll just see results. And that's really all that matters to GameStop at the end of the day. This is a fun show. Moving on. Uh, so we're going to discuss... Uh, more Sonic Mania, which is a game that, of course, had an overwhelmingly positive reception. Almost everyone loves Sonic Mania. I can only think of a few people do, like maybe a, a Z-grade YouTuber who pulls in less than 100 views per video who would likely do better if you just vomited out a series of consumer-defending hot takes which boil down to a high vocabulary temper tantrum and reinforcing popular opinions as if he fucking invented them to a growing base of sycophants while conveniently forgetting to disclose the fact that he is being sponsored by certain publishers like some 1950s fucking disc jockey before payola. You know what I'm saying? But for the most part, the perception uh, or the reception for Sonic Mania was positive, at least on console. See, on PC, it's a very different story. The old personal computer has a growing number of games that include, I guess what you would call controversial stuff, uh, DRM. People get mad about it, so we'll go with that. Well, Sonic Mania on the PC has come with DeNovo. Denovu? I never know how to pronounce this. Uh, despite the fact that the Steam stay, the Steam store page didn't actually mention it on launch day. So that really pissed off a lot of people because that means that the game must always be online to play. So here's the thing. Sega actually fixed this. Now on their storefront, they totally mentioned that they have DRM. They mentioned this back on August 29th. But 
they're still getting a bunch of negative reviews and all the reviews mention Denovu. And they always take things that are wrong and just say, oh, it's because of the DRM. It's gotta be because of the DRM. So the game was delayed. It was supposed to be out two weeks ago, but now it's on PC and they go, the game was delayed because of Denovu. You don't know that? You're crazy. Oh, my game didn't finish downloading or the, it was slow to download, must be Denovu. What the f They don't control your internet service provider. That doesn't make any sense. Now one person even said that Sonic Mania was one of the best games of the year. It's a contender, a real contender. And he was talking about how he applauded everyone involved. They should be proud of their work. But I have to give it a negative review because of Denovu. Well, fuck you, man. That's insane. Like, I don't even like Sonic Mania. But if you like a game, why are you giving it a negative review? If you're going to applaud the developers and then be like, Yeah, but Denovu, so I don't like it. Denovu didn't fuck up the game. If you don't like Denovu, don't buy games with Denovu. And I'm not even into that whole vote with your wallet mentality, but this is a very specific thing that's designed to protect sales. They're trying to prevent people from pirating the game. And Denovo isn't even permanent. Developers usually ditch it after the first 45 days because that's when peak sales occur. And if developers are still using Denovo, that means that there's a proven track record. And if that keeps happening, you're more likely to see more good PC ports of games because sometimes people put a little bit less effort into it because they're like, fuck it, who cares? It's just gonna get pirated anyway. So if you don't like it, that's fine. If you're like, I am against, I, I am for piracy, that is your personal preference. I get it, whatever. But throwing out negative reviews on a video game just because of this one part, that's just throwing a big hissy fit, you fucking baby. I have opinions. I have some strong opinions out here. Anyway, moving on, we have the top 10 best-selling games over in the UK. So let's find out what they are. And this is for a week. This is not a monthly thing. Here are the 10 best games selling in the UK for the past week. Number 10 was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number 9 was Rainbow Six Siege. Number 8 was Forza Horizon 3. Number 7 was Dishonored 2. Number 6 was Fallout 4. Number 5 was Grand Theft Auto 5. Number 4 was Madden NFL 18. Number 3 was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Number 2 was F1 2017. And number 1 was Uncharted The Lost Legacy. Crash Bandicoot no longer in first place. Take that. But it doesn't really matter because it was immediately replaced by another PlayStation 4 exclusive. So Sony's making money. But what about Japan? What are the best-selling games over in Japan? Well, fear not because I have that list right here. Here are the 10 best-selling games over in Japan for the past week. Starting off with uh, uh, number 10 on the Nintendo Switch, ARMS, because that's still around somehow. Number 9 on the PlayStation 4 was Yomawari Midnight Shadows on the PlayStation 4. Number 8 is the exact same game, Midnight Shadows on the PlayStation Vita. Number 7 was on the Nintendo Switch, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number 6 on the 3DS is the Snack World Trejaras. Okay. Number 5 was uh, Mega Dimension Neptune VR. It appears to be the number 8 with R added on, like a Roman numeral. Very clever, Mega Dimension, Neptunia. Those Neptunia games are are, are pretty entertaining. Uh, that was on the PlayStation 4. Number 4 was Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of the Elusive Age on the PlayStation 4. Number 3 was Dragon Quest XI, Echoes of the Elusive Age on the 3DS. Number 2 was Splatoon 2, which is doing really well. And number 1 for the week was Monster Hunter Double Cross Nintendo Switch version, which sold 84,000 copies, which isn't the most impressive debut we've seen of a Nintendo Switch game, or really even just a game this year so far, but... It's number one, so give it credit. But, what are the best-selling consoles over in Japan? Well, check this out. I got the list right here. Start off with the best-seller, 
to the lowest seller. Starting off with Nintendo Switch with 69,654 consoles sold in a week. That's insane. Followed by the PlayStation 4 with 20,433. New 3DS LL with 11,470. New TDS LL with 11,173. PlayStation 4 Pro with 4,225. PlayStation Vita with 4,080. 2DS with 2,137. New 3DS with 430. Wii U with 117. PlayStation 3 with 83. And in last place for the sixth week in a row, the Xbox Xbox One with 63. Wow, 63. These Xbox One sales are starting to look a lot like my views <laughs> on YouTube. I'm I am not doing well. But that's gonna do it for the chart park. The land where money grows on trees. We have now come to the final segment of the pressure cast show podcast thing. It's the part of the show where we take a look back at the week that was 10 years ago. And beyond. It's a little something we like to call Strong History. Eight years ago, I know we normally do 10 years ago and beyond, but eight years ago this week uh, on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, the Beatles rock band was released. Uh, considering the pressure cast won't live to see uh, the 10 year anniversary of this game, I just want to put in here it's one of the best games I've ever played. My favorite uh, rhythm game, possibly of all time. It's real toss-up. I like Prapa the Rapper and other things. 11 years ago on the PSP, Loco Roco was released. This is a super fun puzzle platformer that was actually remastered earlier this year. All you did is use the left and right shoulder buttons to turn the world upside down. And here's a fun fact. Uh, the designer, uh, Sutumu Kono, I believe is his name. I mispronounced that. I know I did. He was actually a level designer on Eco before he directed this game. How cool is that? Now, on the PlayStation 2, 11 years ago, Yakuza was released. Now, I've probably said this story a hundred time since starting the show, uh, but I was working at Blockbuster when Yakuza was released, and so I was able to rent it early, uh, and it was it was really rare. You normally could never rent games early, but that case, I was able to. It was, it was weird, and this game had zero coverage before it was released, so I went into it skeptical, and I'm like, oh, these environments are really small. Is this some sort of, like, cheapo, uh, you know, Sega game before the PlayStation 2 dies? Nope. Was totally blown away. It's a classic, and it was just remade on the PlayStation 4. I'm seeing a pattern here. 13 years ago, on the PlayStation 2 and Xbox, Burnout 3 Takedown was released. This was one of those games I remember downloading trailers for. This was like before YouTube. I actually really enjoyed the Burnout series before Part 3 because um, it was published by uh, Acclaim Games and it was it was awesome. So when EA took over, I was, I was kind of worried about how Burnout would, uh, would do. But it turns out that EA, they just poured money into it. The visuals never looked better. It was awesome. And it was one of the, uh, it was the final game to include Crash Mode, which is really, really fun. It's like mini golf, but with explosions. <laughs> now, of course, there was a remastered version of, of this game on the PlayStation. Wait, no. No. All the other games got remastered. Not Burnout Takedown. What the fuck, EA? Anyway, also that same year, uh, Silent Hill for The Room was released on the PlayStation 2. So, The Room feels kind of different from most other Silent Hill games, and there's a good reason for that. See, originally, Silent Hill The Room, which is about a guy who uses a, a portal in his bathroom to teleport to Silent Hill, originally the game wasn't going to be a Silent Hill game. But then Team Silent, the developers who mostly make Silent Hill games, they're making this game, and they're like, wait, we're making a survival horror game about this guy who's teleporting into this mysterious town why is this not a Silent Hill game? So then they just, they, they changed it and made it Silent Hill. So, it worked out just fine. 16 years ago, on the Game Boy Advance, Advanced Wars was released. Super good game. It was released two days before 9-11. I remember it. I remember that. It was really weird. 
uh, Advanced Wars seem to come out of nowhere in America, uh, but over in Japan, Advanced Wars has been around for years. Well, not really. The Wars series has been around since the original Famicom, because they had a game called Famicom Wars, and then it went to the Game Boy, and they had Game Boy Wars, then they had the Super Famicom Wars, and then when they brought it to the Game Boy Advance, they called it Advanced Wars. But over in America, we didn't know that, so we just thought the name of the franchise was Advanced Wars. And sadly, we haven't seen a return to this franchise since the DS, which is a real shame. But the developers, Intelligent Systems, they've gone to make other franchises like Pushmo, and they've worked on the Paper Mario games, and of course they make the brilliant Fire Emblem series. But the War series, it gets no love. And they're just treating it like a scrub. 17 years ago, on the Nintendo 64, San Francisco Rush 2049 was released. Now, I never really cared about San Francisco Rush. It felt clumsy and cheap and boring. But here's an interesting tidbit. The designer of the home version of the game is George Log. George Log? Who the fuck is that? Well, you should care about who that is. Because George Log, he co-developed Asteroids, Centipede, Millipede, and Gauntlet. But then he made this game, and I didn't really like it. But still, an important guy. 18 years ago, on the PlayStation 1, Final Fantasy VIII was released. Now, this was probably my least favorite Final Fantasy when it was released. Like, I remember coming out and being like, eh. This isn't, this isn't very good. But here's something that blew my mind. Uh, Yoshinori Katase, uh, he's the uh, director of Final Fantasy VIII. I always knew he directed Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, he also directed Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, oh yeah, of course he directed Final Fantasy VII. I just didn't, I don't think I ever connected the dots being like, one guy directed both of those games. That's insane. But not only that, check this out. He also directed Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. So he directed Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, and Final Fantasy VIII all in a five-year span. One dude directed all those games. Now, he didn't make it all on his own, but still, that's fucking impressive, right? Now, 18 years ago this week, a very, very, very important anniversary. Sonic Adventure was released, Hydro Thunder was released, Raid Rumble Boxing was released, and Soul Calibur was released, and probably some other games, but I'm mentioning those specifically because the Dreamcast launched 18 years ago this week, 9999. Now, for me, this was the last great console launch. And that's not to say I haven't been excited for other console launches, but none of them, none of the consoles that have been released uh, since the Dreamcast have had such good marketing campaigns. And that might sound shallow, like, oh my God, you care about the marketing? Oh my God, what is wrong with you? But hear me out, all right? Hear me out. See, here's the thing. Good marketing, it creates the illusion of culture, uniting disparate elements to make something even bigger, to feel larger, and the Dreamcast finally arriving felt like an event. But it didn't feel like Sega, or at least not the old Sega. It didn't feel like a, a make good for the Sega Saturn failing or a rekindling of the Genesis era. It felt new. The Dreamcast was now. And I wish more of today's culture attempted to capitalize on that. See, so much of what we see now is just an attempt to recreate the past. Just look at Sonic Mania. But the Dreamcast was all about being in the moment as much as possible. And because of that, there's nothing else quite like the Dreamcast. I love it so. Then also Shenmue's on there, so <laughs> obviously it's the best. Oh man, I fucking love the Dreamcast. Anyway, um, man, I should pull up my Dreamcast. When's, when's the 9th this week? We're on the 3rd. The 9th is going to be a Saturday. Maybe I'll work out something. I don't know. 19 years ago, this week, in Japan, Metal Gear Solid 
was released on the PlayStation 1. Now, pretty much everything that's expected of a modern AAA game started with Metal Gear. I'm serious. The voice acting on a whole different level. The cutscenes actually had real direction with cameras moving. And uh, the, uh, the the reactive music was really excellent. They, they put more money into the music than most other games did. And it was one of the very first titles to kick off the modern stealth genre. And now, of course, I would say Tenchu deserves uh, just as much credit there. And it's all thanks to the 3DO failing. Seriously. Kojima was going to make a Metal Gear game on the 3DO and then it bombed. So there you go. Also, the same week, man, hard to believe, NFL Blitz on the Nintendo 64. One of the best games ever, not to mention one of the best sports games of all time. Obviously, my personal favorite. I understand that concussions are bad and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. Let me play Blitz again, you know? And I'm not, I'm not talking about making a new Blitz. Just give me that one. I'm good. Promise. I'll be happy. Also, that same week, Parasite Eve was released on the PlayStation. A survival horror, third-person shooter, turn-based RPG. Such a good game. If you've never played Parasite Eve, it's a more cerebral sort of uh, uh, survival horror game. And I remember back in the day, it got a 6 out of 10 because it was only 12 hours long. Yep. Game reviews were different then. Also that same week, Spyro the Dragon was released on the PlayStation. Now everybody remembers Spyro. We don't really need to talk about that. But let's talk about Insomniac Games, the developers, for a second. They went from the first-person shooter game called Disruptor, that was really gritty and dark, to move on to the Spyro trilogy, which is all about having fun, to the Ratchet and Clank trilogy, which is a little more crude, and then they went on to Resistance, which is another first-person shooter. They just released three VR games, and now they're making Spider-Man. They are a pretty unique studio, if you ask me. So, congratulations, because they're still around <laughs> after all these years. Now, 20 years ago, this week, Pocket Fighter was released in the arcades of Japan. Now, this is not to be confused with Puzzle Fighter, even though it features the exact same chibi versions of the Street Fighter characters. They punch and kick gems out of each other. It's not great. It's really, really not. 22 years ago this week, Rayman, Air combat, Battle Arena Toshinden, um, ESPN Extreme Games, Ridge Racer, a bunch of other games. Uh, the Raiden Project, which had Raiden 4 and 5, all of those games were released because the PlayStation launched 22 years ago. <sighs> yeah, pretty big deal, if you ask me. Now, I have uh, no recollection to Sony announcing the PlayStation. I've, I, I, I was really into video games. I have no memory of hearing about the PlayStation before launch day where I was playing the PlayStation. But think about this for a minute. Why would I even know about it? Because Sega and Nintendo were killing each other in, in print and television advertisements. Everywhere you went, it was Sonic or it was Mario. That's what was going on. So who the fuck cares what Sony's going to go do? Because whatever Sony does is going to end up like the Jaguar or the 3DO, another tech company trying to just cash in on the video game craze where they have no business. And I know Atari was originally a video game company, but you know where I'm coming from. So why did... PlayStation take off while others failed. Sure, CDs were cheap to produce, so it reduced the production costs. Yes, it was built on x86 architecture, making it easy to develop for. Of course, the console was powerful enough to create bleeding edge 3D games. And uh, I'm not trying to take away from all the talent and, and, and the marketing and all the people that went into creating the PlayStation brand. But when, why was the PlayStation a success? Well, I'll tell you, 
It comes down to two factors, and I've never heard anyone else say this, so I'm going to explain it to you right now. Think about this. First of all, Sony was a gigantic corporation. They had a lot of goddamn money. They didn't really want to get into video games, but they were getting into video games, and they had a lot of money. Okay? Okay. But second, and this is the most important, this is the difference between the 3DO and the PlayStation, the Jaguar and the PlayStation, failed consoles that were around that era, and the PlayStation, uh, the CDI and the PlayStation. Sony is a Japanese company. Yes, it comes down to being that simple. This is an era where Japanese games were far and away better than any other games in the world, and they sold better than any other games in the world. So if you are a company that's going to be launching a brand new console and you can get Squaresoft, Namco, Konami, Capcom, Bandai, Acclaim, Ubisoft, Koei, and EA to release games in the first year of your console, it's probably going to be a hit. And yes, I know some of the games I just, or some of the developers I just mentioned and publishers were not Japanese, but Western developers for some reason, they would always take a risk on these new consoles. The Japanese were a little more difficult to get on board. So when you can meet in person to, to you know, have a meeting and, and ask for their involvement on your new console, if you can have that meeting without having to get in a plane and fly over the ocean, it helps. When you can, you know, be in physical contact within two hours, hour and a half, it helps create business relationships. Not to mention that Sony was a very respected brand. So, and you could say, well, what about, you know, phone calls or uh, or Skype or whatever? This was the 90s, all right? These were, people were using these, like, phone lines and having speakerphone. It didn't, whatever. It doesn't matter. So when I think about why did the PlayStation succeed while the other consoles failed, you can say price, you can say all those, those different factors, but it really does come down to the games. And the reason they had those games is because they were a Japanese company, and this was the era where Japan dominated and had the very, very, very best games. That's what I think. All right. And 28 years ago in Brazil, the Sega Master System was launched. Far and away the most popular console ever released in Brazil. The Sega Master System and the Genesis still managed to sell around 150,000 units per year. That's a true story. Kind of unbelievable, right? But it happens. But that's going to do it for Strong History. My throat is dying and I need to stop recording because I'm worried that my recorder is going to freak out in just two seconds. So we need to close out the show. Man, this was a long episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Cryshop. That's at Dr. Cryshop. You can follow the PressureCast on Twitter at VGA Dumb. Uh, and obviously, come back here at youtube.com slash video games are dumb. And um, or I'm sorry, youtube.com slash. Yeah, video games are dumb. That's what it is. And you can check out my video on uh, Mario Cross Rabbids, uh, whatever. And you can also check out my interview. Uh, with Rem Capsule Collider developers, uh, FT Gamers. I just put that up there. Really nice interview. Awesome. It was cool. I don't know. Uh, there's a bunch of other interviews. Watch those too. All right. I'm going to go right now. Um, uh, what should I say before I end the show? Right. Uh, the Master System, that was released in Brazil, and it still lives on. Just like the Pressure Cast, because the Pressure Cast is forever. See you guys. See you guys.